Our text this morning is from uh, Isaiah 56, uh, verses 3 through 8. And uh, it's a text that I've read before, but really as I began preparing for this morning, just really fell in love uh, with the message of the text today. Uh, So if you will stand as we read this. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve Him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship Him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. May God bless the reading of His Word. Good morning. Be seated. Ah. That's a great song. Kind of lively up here. Ah, oh, it is good to be here this morning, and it is, uh, it is kind of different to s- preach one service, and I will tell you, it's a, kind of a hard stretch to preach and then go hang out with the youth group and do our youth group stuff and then come back in here again, so if I kind of look a little uneasy, it's just trying to get accustomed to being back in here again. Um, I know that there is, there is this rule in public speaking, whether that's speaking like uh, to an organization, whether it's preaching, whether it's teaching, there is this kind of hard, fast guideline that you never begin with an apology. I'm going to break that rule this morning. Because as I read this text, I, am, I feel compelled to apologize You see, I'm just from a small West Texas town. Ten people in my graduating class. One stop sign. And I probably ran it a few times. Um, And I am just um, a short, long-haired, to my parents' dismay, gray-headed youth minister. There are a lot of things in that short definition that qualify who I am and make me say, I apologize. However, as I look here this morning in this room, um, I realize that there are a lot of us in here like that. I say I am just a youth minister. I'm only from a small town, but as I look in this room, we are filled with a bunch of just 
and onlys, right? I mean, I'm, I, there's Michael O'Brien. He's just a counselor, right? I, well, hey, Logan. You're, you're just, Logan's just in the band. Who's done very well, by the way, right? Um, we look around the room and we continue to do more. Well, Elizabeth, she's just a teacher. Or uh, there are those guys back up there. Hey, Ronnie, he's, he's only the sound guy. And if you look around the room, look, look on either side of you right now, look across the room, you can begin to qualify everyone in here as just and only. See, that's what we do. We define ourselves by, by our jobs, where we grew up. Uh, today, maybe we define ourselves by what team we're going to cheer for. There's some kind of game going on this afternoon. Um, I had to tell a group this morning, I did not choose orange and blue because I'm a Broncos fan. I just happened to choose orange, and that's, uh, that is probably who I'll cheer for, but it's not intentional. But we do that. We, we define ourselves by all of these things, and we define ourselves in a lot of ways. We diminish ourselves as we compare ourselves to the next person. And so this morning, as I say to you, I am just a youth minister. I'm only from a small town. And we are all justs and onlys. I will tell you, as we look at this text, you know what? We are in pretty good company. The two main players in this text, let's look at it, the foreigner. The foreigner is just a foreigner. And he feels like he is somewhere outside of God's care and concern and compassion. He's just a foreigner. He's an outsider. He doesn't fit. Surely God will not look on him with grace and mercy and kindness. And then there's the eunuch who is only a dry tree. Just and only. Now, it's important at this point to stop right here and say this text doesn't, it's not talking about what other people are saying about the foreigner and the eunuch. The text doesn't say, don't let anyone speak of the foreigner and say that he is this. Or, or don't let anyone say, else say of the eunuch, he's only a dry tree. What's happening here is self-defining language. It's the foreigner and the eunuch who are speaking. And the text says, don't let them say these things about themselves. So, where does that self-defining language come from? How is it that the foreigner and the eunuch would come to the point where they might sit there and say of themselves, I am just this or I'm only that? Well, if you go back and you look at the Hebrew nation, at the Hebrews, they had within their history... They have a pretty good reason to think of themselves as something less than. You go all the way back, they were not really a people. They had no real identity. They were something other than. And in fact, when you look at the story of Joseph, there's a time in, in there where Joseph's brothers come, and Joseph is there, and his brothers are there, and the Egyptians are there, and they separate and all eat in different places because for the Egyptians... It would have been, and the word used is an abomination for the Egyptians to lower themselves to eat with 
those Hebrews. And they are this people who didn't have an identity. At Sinai, they were given an identity as the people of God. But they moved from a people who are not a people to this people with identity. And so they have within their, their history, they have some baggage that might cause them to say, well, we know what it's like to be on the outside. We know what it's like to not fit. We know what it's like for other people to whisper things about us. But they were given an identity. And at Sinai, they became the people of God, and they embraced that identity as God's people, and God commanded them to be holy as He was holy. And there were all kinds of rules and guidelines that were set up, and they became, the Jews became devout at hanging on to their exclusivity. They had the rules, they had the laws, they had the commandments, and they put fences around, and they were intent on never going back to that time when they weren't a people. In fact, some of the specific boundaries that they had, there were those that they intentionally kept out. All right, Listen to some of the people that were drawn outside their boundaries. Kidnappers. Adulterers, those who committed murder, rebellious children, and those who defied the priests. And so the boundaries of exclusivity are there. It makes sense to them that there are these walls, and the foreigner and the eunuch are probably just speaking from this history. But in Isaiah 56, something very different is about to take place. Isaiah, as we know it, is one book. Scholars look at it and divide it into three books, really kind of known as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Isaiah. And 3rd Isaiah begins with chapter 56. And what happens beginning in chapter 56 for, all, for the rest of Isaiah, for 3rd Isaiah, is this Radical move by God towards inclusivity. God begins in chapter 56 by throwing the doors open and, and there is this sense that God is doing something new and His desire is to draw everyone to Him. He wants no one left out. This move against exclusivity first occurs when God throws the doors open to foreigners, to aliens, to outcasts, in the language of today, to refugees. God throws the doors open and he says, don't let them ever say that they are outside of my concern and care. But God didn't stop there. Then he says, and do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. And God throws the doors open to the eunuchs and the other outcasts. This community that had once not had an identity, had been given an identity, and who valued this sense of exclusivity, this community would no longer be identified by their walls, by who's in and who's out. This community 
would now be defined by inclusivity, by reconciliation, by mercy and justice. This is a radical move taking place in Isaiah 56. I want to set that aside for just a second. And I want to come to us today. To the voices of modern culture. And Don, I'm going to do this. Don was here in first service. And and in this part, I'm going to talk about two voices. And I'm going to talk about the voice of God. And that's the kingdom. And I'm also going to talk about the voice of the empire. And really, what I want you to hear, Don said when he kept hearing empire, he was thinking Star Wars. That makes sense. Um, But when you hear, hear this, I want you to think the voice of the kingdom of God versus the voice of the empire of this world. Two entities that are at war with one another. The voices of the empire are often, most likely, always in conflict with the voice of the kingdom. So when you hear empire, think the empire of this world, the kingdom of this world, and the stuff of this world. Today we have multiple voices at work that seek to identify, define, and stratify society. These are the voices that that elevate one person or one group above another. These are the voices that place a value on a person based upon their bank account, their level of education, the color of their skin, their nationality, their gender. These are the voices in our society that say some people are more important and more valuable than others because of their pedigree. Those are the voices of the empire, again, in constant conflict with the voices of the kingdom of God. Where do we hear those voices? You know, it's possible to hear those voices walking around these halls after church. The voices of the empire are so prevalent, these voices that stratify and say these people are better than those people, we hear them in the offices, we hear them in the classrooms, you may hear them in the bus on the band trip, scroll your Facebook feed, the voices are there, political discourse, no doubt in the political discourses of this world, the voices are there. Look at bumper stickers. You know, sometimes the voices of the empire are the loudest on the back of somebody's car. You notice that? But these voices, the voices of the empire, the voices of this world, seek to reduce us to a world of just and onlys. A world where we say, This person is just that, and they're somehow less than this person. Or that person is only fill-in-the-blank, and they are something less than this person. Or we speak, we do the self-defining language, and we speak of ourself as just and onlys. So what do we do with that? What do we do with the fact that we live in this world that continues to segregate and divide and stratify us. There's no denying the voices are there. What do we do with it? 
One of the things I love about the Word of God, and specifically this text, is that God often raises an issue, but if we look, often, He gives us answers to what to do. Listen to these verses. Three times in this text of Isaiah 56, uh, 3 through 8. The person who holds it fast, who keeps my Sabbath. Verse 4, the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths. Verse 6, all who keep the Sabbath. Now to be fair, Sabbath is a word that's not really part of our language very often. We sometimes think of Sabbath and we think, oh, I'm going to take a nap. It's a whole lot more than that. I'll tell you, if three times in in the span of a few verses... Sabbath is there. There's something important going on here. See, Sabbath is spending time in this holiness, in this presence of God. Like I said, it's not a holy nap. It's not a sanctified vacation. It is intentional time in the presence of God. Sabbath stills the voices of culture and religious stratification and hierarchy. See, Sabbath is rooted... In the creation story. Now, we, if you grow up going to church, you get familiar with the creation story at the very beginning. And for those of us who were around a long time ago, we've got, we've got flannel, flannel graph images of the creation story. My guess is that that Bible you got, just got, there's probably some pictures that show the creation story. But in six days, God created. And for those six days, in a sense, God was working in creation, but also God was actually also above creation, and He is, he is in all of this stuff. And, and God create, is creating, shaping, and forming the farthest star and the depths of the sea. In those six days, He painted the colors of the sunset. He set the boundaries of the ocean. And in those six days, God wrote the orchestra that plays out every day in the forest. And then, then God fashioned man. And God formed woman. And God breathed His Spirit into humanity. Now think about that. God's created all this stuff, and then He makes man and He makes woman, Talk about diversity, right? If you've, you've ever had a disagreement with your husband or wife, you know what I'm talking about? We're made differently, which I'm, I told first service, I love that because my wife is a lot smarter than I am, and she is the best part of who I am, and I'm so glad that she is part of my life that, to help me make sense of life. Um, and there were a few people that amen right there, but I'm just saying, just saying. But when God formed man and woman and breathed life in them, He set us on a course for unimaginable and perpetual diversity. If God had decided He was through creating to that point, I'm sorry, it's all over now. We've got man and woman and we have diversity beyond what we can imagine. And so on the seventh day, 
uh, so God created, and then, and then on, on, on the first six days, God created. But then on the seventh day, I want you to think about how God dwelt among his creation. That God, God moved from this creator, from the one who's orchestrating everything, and on the seventh day, and I'm actually going to do this, I don't know if I can get back up. It was as if God sat and he dwelt among creation. And he celebrated the diversity of all that he had made. Abraham Joshua Heschel, a Jewish rabbi, says that in the six days God created, but he created a world that was without a soul. And that it was on that seventh day when God rested that he breathed his soul into all that he had made. So what does that mean for us? What that means for us is that when we experience Sabbath, when we stop and rest, when the voices of the empire are stilled, that is when we experience the soul of God's creation. That is when we can finally look beyond all the boundaries and all the divisions, and we don't see people based on what they do or where they live or the color of their skin. We see people for who they really are. It is when we stop and rest in Sabbath that we experience the soul of God's creation But the voices are still there. And they seek to define us. They challenge the very essence of who God created us to be. But the soul of creation shines through the fog of racism, elitism, and exclusivity. Sabbath compels us to move away from fear while nurturing peace and reconciliation. And I want to read this. Walter Brueggemann writes this. He says, Ours is a time of scattering in fear. We are so fearful that we want to fence the world in order to keep all others out. But in Sabbath, we lay down our weapons of fear. In Sabbath, the labor of our hands is no longer for the purposes of self-glorification, the labor of our hands is no longer uh, for the purposes of building up fences between us and our neighbor. The purposes of our labor is no longer in building up walls that d- divide us from people that we don't like or people that we're afraid of. But when we rest in Holy Sabbath, our labor results in unity and peace. Instead, we dwell peaceably with God and humanity and we participate in radical hospitality. We participate in the actual throwing open the doors and welcoming people, not only to the table of the Lord, but to the community of faith. And we participate in welcoming the eunuchs and the foreigners and the aliens of our day. So, we, 
This, this is about Sabbath, but it's not about Sabbath. I want to tell you, Sabbath, I told first service, Sabbath is something that I've been studying that I, I, I am just so amazed at what Sabbath looked like and how Sabbath might be real in our culture. And that's something that I would love for us to continue in conversation uh, about. How can we as a community actually embrace a Sabbath rhythm where we actually slow down and we actually sit and uh, Kirby Hartman told me this morning his word is to soak in the presence of God. But that would take us a whole long, a long time, and we don't have time for that today. It, it would take us longer than we've got today. But I want to give you three things that I think we can do to help us begin to move into a sense of Sabbath. Three th- ways in which we can partner with God in throwing open the doors and welcoming others just as we are welcomed. And this is, this is where it's going to sound like a book from first grade. The three things are stop, look, and listen. Stop. Shut down the machine of progress. Now, technology is often likened to the beast. Maybe it is technology. Maybe that's part of what you need to shut down. But what would it be like for this week, for you and your family to stop, to unplug, to unwind, to shut off all of the technology, to say we are going to stop and for this space and time, we are not going to get caught up in the busyness of this world, but for this space and time, in the words of Kirby, we are going to soak in the presence of God. Look, what would it be if you and your family set some time this week and said, for this time, we are going to intentionally look for God and look at His creation. Now, we can look without seeing. In fact, I think we do that a lot. I think I do that a lot. I look at people, but maybe I don't really see people. So what would it be like for this week, for us to set some boundaries and say, during this time, we are going to look longingly at God and who He is and who He's calling us to be. And we are going to see people not based on their vocation, not based on their nationality, not based upon their political party. But we are going to see people as the image of God. You guys got to do that easily this morning. It's easy for Lanny to stand here and hold Cassie Lynn. And I say, that's the image of God. And there's not a one of us that would deny that. I'm looking at Cassie Lynn right now. And I'm saying, image of God. I have no problem with that. The problem is that when I look at people, I can see Cassie Lynn easily as the image of God. But I have to walk over here and I see Trace Jordan. And I go, really? Trace Jordan's also the image of God? Really? I look back here and I see Sid Clemmer and I go, Sid Clemmer, image of God? Really? 
Guess what? Cassie Lynn, image of God. Absolutely. Trace Jordan, image of God. No doubt. Sid Clemmer, image of God. When we stop and when we look and see people in the holiness of Sabbath rest, we are compelled to see people in the essence of who God made them to be in His image. Now, even in here, that's easy. I don't have any problems seeing Trace and Sid as the image of God. But you know what? That person that cuts me off in traffic, I have a little difficulty there. That person that takes 20 items into the checkout, the express checkout line at HEB, surely that is not the image of God. Yeah. And fill in the blank. See, we are compelled to see also even our very enemies as the image of God. And finally, listen. When the voices of this world are quieted, the voice of God can become deafening. And I'm just going to be honest. I think a lot of the times we, a lot of the times, a lot of the reasons I fill my world with so much noise is to be honest, I'm not sure I really want to hear the voice of God. All the more reason that I need to stop and look and listen. Shut out the noise. And while we may be anxious about what God might speak in that silence, we desperately need to hear the voice of God. That voice that says, you are not just. You are not only. And neither are they. That voice that speaks deeply into who we are. I want you to hear one thing as we get ready to leave. I'm going to actually let me show you this this picture. What does this what does this look like? This type of welcome welcoming others. A little girl in this picture is named Hope. Hope is in Abilene. A um, number of years ago she was diagnosed with Down syndrome. She goes to Highland Church of Christ in Abilene and that community of faith has known her as one who loves to recite the Lord's Prayer. They just know that's something she does. Last Sunday, Brandon Scott Thomas, their worship minister, I believe he stopped, looked, and listened. In the course of that Sunday morning service, he said, Hope, would you come up here? And he invited Hope 
This child, with so many reasons why someone might define her as just or only, he brought her up and he said, Hope, would you lead us in the Lord's Prayer this morning? And this child was welcomed. And what happened in that place was nothing short of holiness. What I want you to hear as we leave this morning. My guess is that if we're honest, all of us find ways to define ourselves as just and only. I want you to leave here this morning knowing this is your identity. You are created by God the Father. You are washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And you are empowered by the very breath of God, the Holy Spirit of God. You are not just, you are not only, you are a child of God. As we sing this last song, uh, we're going to have some of our leaders around the side. And I'm going to use this, this language very intentionally. They are here to welcome you. Because that is what the people of God do. They are here to welcome you and pray with you for whatever reason. They are here to welcome you. So as we sing this song, as children of God, be welcomed and be blessed by the presence of God. Let's pray.